your number one source for election coverage and analysis. This is Gerard at Large. It is 17 minutes before the hour here on the Gerard Large Radio Show. We continue with the great debate of Ward 9. Incumbent Alderman Barbara Shaw and challenger Jim Burkish, Manchester's former fire chief, are vying for the seat. Barbara seeking her fifth term. Jim seeking his first as an elected official. Of course, there's a bit of a legacy there in Ward 9. The, his uncle, Pete Burkish. Was uh, an alderman, one of an alderman, and one of the great rivalries in Manchester him politics. Him Parazo back and forth. Him with him and the Parazos. <laughs> that was it's like it was like Dion and, and uh, Tebow over in Ward Eleven, <laughs> and uh, a bunch of others that we could uh, we could touch on. This segment brought to you by Manchester Mayor Ted Gatzis. He Manchester's undergoing a renaissance, says his honor, and he's crafted a blueprint to harness that energy. Among the items are paving the uh, paving the future, modernizing trash collection, better schools, and smaller trash uh, class sizes. And of course, he he pledges to veto any override of the tax cap. Learn more about the mayor's twelve point plan at tedgatzis.com slash plan. That's tedgatzis.com slash plan. All right, there there are two things that I want to make sure we get to in this segment. We want to talk about the uh, the opioid crisis, the city's response. Actually, three things if we can. Um. The, um, uh, you know, some neighborhood issues in particular, you know, what happened down, uh, you know, South Beach area with Walmart. And then, of course, there's this issue of the of the city charter where both of you uh, have in, in my never to be humble opinion is your ever humble host, a conflict or a potential conflict. And as much as you have children that work for the city and are covered by union contracts. Before we get to that, we have John uh, on the line. Good morning, John. Good morning and good morning, candidates. Good morning. Morning. Um, so earlier, you in your discussion, you talked about an elephant in the room, and you said it was the uh, the contracts not being settled. I think what the people that are paying taxes think the elephant in the room is it's not so much the, the contracts being settled, but it's aldermen willing to stand up and ask the unions, whether it's the teachers' union, firefighters, police, city workers, will they take a pay cut and a benefits cut? during tough times to help themselves out. And so I put that question to both of you. What's your stance on them taking them, when I say them, all unions, taking a pay cut and a benefits cut to help themselves out? And I'll leave you for the answer. John, thank you for the call. Um, Barbara, we'll start with you. I don't, uh, I don't think they need to take a cut. I think they could remain status quo. I think that, um, that everybody should be paying 20% on the benefits that's something that uh, they're not all doing. I think uh, they should pay more for the benefits, but um, I don't think they need to take a cut. But if they stayed status quo, it certainly would help for a while. Hi, John. Uh, back in the 90s, I remember I was a firefighter in Ray Wazork. I think it was seven years that we went uh, status quo. And nobody got laid off. And um, we, were, we were going through some tough times. Uh, back then also um, currently right now we're into a, an issue where the teachers have had uh, have got a contract and the police officers have got a contract so I believe there's a fairness issue from my point if you tell the rest of the uh, employees including non-affiliated you're going to take a pay cut and um, a benefit cut so you have a fairness issue um, and let me go back on the fairness issue. I I was working at least 
20 years that the city treated all employees the same. Um, When that, um, in those years up until this year, um, it was very, um, it was much better in my opinion, um, where we, we kept everybody the same. Um, so that uh, when the first group, whatever, got through the through the process, um, there was support across the board, and all employees felt felt uh, were treated the same. Now, as Barbara says, we have some employees paying twenty percent. We have some employees that have uh, gotten six uh, percent raises. We've got some employees that um, have gotten none. So, to me, uh, John, answering your question would be a fairness issue, and I would support the issue going somehow being resolved in a fair way. All right, well, let's keep it on contracts here because, you know, there has been a, a persistent controversy over who uh, is allowed to vote on what in the charter. The charter is pretty specific in barring elected officials from voting on contracts that involve immediate family members defined as a spouse, <coughs> child, stepchild, or spouses of children and stepchildren. Um, Barbara, you voted on that teacher's contract. You said first you weren't going to, then you did. What's your position now? Should you have? Shouldn't you have? And moving forward, if you're reelected, what will you do knowing another teacher's contract is coming? Moving forward, if the language stays the same that it is in the charter right now, I will not vote for a teacher's contract. I will abstain. When I voted for it the last time, I had gotten advice. I called the city solicitor's office, and he told me that was my decision. He didn't tell me one way or another. What I was, what I should do. So I talked to two lawyers and I talked to two state reps who were aldermen in other cities, selectmen or councilmen in Keene and, and then uh, Nashua. And I asked them, how would you interpret this? And their interpretation was it was not affecting me directly and it was affecting a family member, but not only my family member. It was, uh, and and not the general public, it was affecting a segment of the general public, which was uh, 1,500 teachers or whatever it was. So they all said, no, their interpretation was that it was okay to vote, and I did. And the firestorm that was created over that was overwhelming to me because I had done my homework I had talked to people and and because I didn't even know at the time and you won't believe this and probably half your listening audience will either I had no idea what effect it was going to have on my daughter I was looking at it as a four million dollar savings to the city of Manchester and that is the honest to God's truth afterward I found out that my daughter actually ended up paying more for her health insurance, and she was beyond the steps, so she never got an increase in her steps, so she's getting $37 less than she was prior to the contract. So, you know, but I would not do it again. I would not, because it caused too much. The, The people don't understand. They look at it differently, so I respect that, and I would not do it again. Jim, uh, is the language, in your opinion, clear, or is it uh, is it confusing? If the language stays the same, I will not vote on uh, my son's contract, on a fire contract. As Barbara has stated, I think that um, you know, it, 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 when we look at it for, from our point of view, we think we're, we know we're representing the, 
the people of Ward 9. Right. And what's best for the people of Ward 9 would be a health care concession or, or there, there are other parts of contracts which benefit the city, believe it or not, overtime provisions, uh, staffing level, all the stuff that could go into in the negotiation process. It's not only about employees getting raises. There's changes in hours. There's changes in a lot of things. So if the charter didn't say I would vote, you know, it's just for one person, I believe it was originally put in for voting on a vendor contract that your family member has. Right. So, uh, but like Barbara has said, going door to door, that question has been asked of me more than more than a tax question, Rich. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to abstain from voting on that. Understood. All right. So uh, the opioid uh, crisis, uh, Chief. You were around when Safe Station started. You were part of the team that uh, got it underway. Uh, is the city doing enough? Uh, is it doing things, in your opinion, it shouldn't be doing? Is it not doing things it should be? And what? where does the uh, liability of the Manchester taxpayer stop in this uh, opioid epidemic? Yeah, first of all, Rich, I want to throw a shout out to the, uh, the firefighters um, that deal with Safe Station every day, five, six times a day. Uh, Fire Chief Goonan, who's going back to the White House again this week, he's going back for a second visit to the White House to give his, his information on Is he going to wear his dress uniform, you think? To meet He's the wearing his dress uniform. I'm going to sit right next to Kellyanne Conley again. With, the, with that Kellyanne <laughs> yeah. Conway, yeah. Yeah, Kellyanne yeah. Conway. With the hat and everything. Yeah. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and the rest of the um, Timmy Soucy, the police department, Serenity Place, all those people have come together working very hard. But one firefighter did describe to me, Rich, something. He said, this, we're in a vacuum. He said, Manchester is attracting, mm-hmm. attracting people from um, on both sides, people who want help or people who are here to buy illicit drugs. So um, that was that's a good analogy, Rich. That uh, tells me that we need to expand these services around the state. Um, in Hooksit, we have a safe station program, just for that reason, so that we're not sending our, our our people who need help to Manchester. A lot of communities put them in cars, put them in taxis, say go to Manchester, get your help. Exactly. Um, so um, that's uh, that's where I see the, the safe station going. Yeah. I I think, and the other thing that I think about safe station is. Um, opioid epidemic, excuse me, was that we've got to educate our kids um, uh, as young as we can. Um, I've got two godchildren, they're Goonan's uh, twins. You know, I think we ought to start educating them. They're, they're seven years now, Western now. I think we ought to start next year educating them into the problem. All right, uh, that's, Barbara. That's my uh, concentration or where I think the concentration should be is on uh, prevention, and I think we need more at the lower level with kids. We need to start younger. When, when you get to be 45 or 50 years old and you're still making bad choices and you're receiving Narcan seven times a week, that that person is probably not going to change because it's a state of mind. If you if you want to to be off of drugs or alcohol or anything like that, you have to have it in your mind that you want to change. And I think that starting with the the kids and you know, why are they turning to drugs? What that that's been the question that that just blows my mind. Where where is the guidance? Where 
why are we letting go of our kids so so young and just saying, well, you know, he's 14, he can walk the streets at night uh, and things like that. It, it's it's about concentrating on prevention at the lowest level. And I think that's very important. And it should – there are parents who object to having this, this uh, curriculum in the schools, but if it's done right and it's done at age-appropriate – it should be started young. I don't, I don't know that parents object to having it in the schools. I think parents object to the topics being discussed uh, with materials that they are not made aware of in advance so they can be part of the conversation. I don't object to it being in the schools. I object when my kids come home from West High School and say, Dad, guess what we did in school today? And I find out about something that, as a parent, I think, if nothing else, I should have been invited to uh, be part of the presentation along with my kid. That's, I'll, I'll say that because I think parents who object to things are— There's that balance again, right. and it goes into the school department too. You know? uh, yes. So um, we're, believe it or not, we're, we're up on the clock. So I, although there are a slew of other questions that I would certainly love to uh, chat with you about, I'm going to give you an opportunity to take a, you know, 60, 90 seconds to sort of uh, close things out. Uh, Barbara, I think you started with the open. So, Jim, we're going to have you start uh, this one. Well, again, I want to thank Barbara for her service. It's very easy to sit there uh, and walk around and talk about somebody who, you know, has had a record, you know, and your record, good or bad, you work hard. And so I want to thank her for for everything that she's done for the ward. Walking around the ward um, has been a a most uh, interesting and rewarding thing for me, talking to our residents about what they feel and what they think. And it's more... Being an alderman, to me, is two things. You've got to represent your ward, and you've got to represent your city, and I think I can do that. I can have the balance. I have a lot of municipal budgeting experience. Um, I think I can bring those two together and be a good servant for Ward 9, and it would be an honor to serve the people of Ward 9. Jim, thank you for being with us this morning. Barbara, yes, your closing thoughts. My closing thoughts, basically, let's be more transparent, have more interaction with uh, parents in the school district, with taxpayers uh, on the local level. We need to, as, as an aldermanic board, we need to stop the politics and get the work done. We're a nonpartisan group, and I would like to see uh, more cooperation, more compromise, and uh, more openness in discussion and uh, less work behind the scenes from the mayor right down through uh, the aldermen and the department heads. I want to see a, a good effort of cooperation so that we can provide that balance. All right. Do you can guys I have say one? Well, I got one more thing, Rich. Go right ahead. I forgot to mention uh, uh, American Medical Response, Chris Stawas, and everything that they've done for the city over the past four years um, dealing with the opioid crisis and stepping up. I talked about public safety. I talked about health department and all the city departments, but uh, AMR has been a partner in this, and Chris Stawas, I want to thank him. Right. I would like to ditto that uh, that uh, applause because uh, those people have done a tremendous amount. All right. Is there a phone number, Facebook page, website, something if people want to contact you about your campaigns or ask you questions, they can. Jim? Burkish at gmail.com. That's J-A-Burkish, B-U-R-K-U-S-H at gmail.com. Gmail. Barbara? 
B.E. Shaw 3 at Comcast.net. All right. B.E. Shaw 3. And 626-4681. 626-4681 and B.E. Shaw 3 at Comcast.net. Barbara Shaw, Jim Burkish, thanks for being with us here this morning on the Drug at Large Radio Show. Uh, folks, we are uh, get time to do the station ID. Tomorrow, we will be carrying the debate between Manchester Mayor Ted Gatsis and challenger Joyce Craig live. So Uh-oh. make sure to tune in here at Toronto at Large. We will be in the house, as you know we would be. That and, uh, oh, so much more. Be sure to tune in for our pre-debate uh, discussions as well. For the entire team here at Toronto at Large, I am your ever-humble host, Rich Gerard. Thanks for tuning in. Until tomorrow, be good, be well. Don't do anything we wouldn't do. We're proud to have you in the audience. Thanks for being there. Please remember our sponsors. Give them the first opportunity to earn your business and let them know you heard about them on Toronto at Large. It matters. Be good, everyone.